I want to talk tonight about the heart of a worshiper. Because I'm about worship tonight. Um, I want to ask you a question. To start out, I want to set you in the right place. When a person hears about Jesus and they hear that there is a God, there's somebody out there, and that I'm far from him. Of course, I probably knew that, that I'm far from him. And I hear that I hear what's called the gospel. I hear that he, there is a God and he loves me. He cares about me. He knows my name. He created me. He determined the day I'd be born. I learn all, I hear all this stuff. And I hear that he loved me so much that he let his son die horribly in my place so that I could come back to him. We've heard the gospel. And I, I have to make a decision then. Well, I have to decide I'm going to believe that and I'm going to come to Jesus and repent and I'm going to follow him and become his or I'm not, I'm going to reject him. I'm not going to do it. There's only two things you can do with Jesus. You can either follow him or you can forget him. But I make a decision. I, I believe Jesus is real. I believe this stuff's real. God touches my heart. He gives me the ability to believe that Jesus is real. This really happened and he did it for me. And I believe that with all my heart. And then I make a decision. The Bible says, with the heart man believes, I come to him. And I, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And now I'm saved. I'm a, I'm a child of God now. I'm a believer. <clears throat> What's the first thing I need to do? What's, what's the first thing you should teach a believer to do? Well, see, we teach them all kinds of stuff. What does the Bible say is the first thing that a, a believer should ever do? And for all of eternity, it'll be the most important thing you ever do. Let's read. We're in John chapter 9. We looked at this Sunday morning about the blind man who found Jesus. I want you to see something here. John chapter 9, uh, verse 35. When Jesus heard they threw the man out of the church, he found him and he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? Verse 36, he said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe? So they, did, they didn't have what we have today. They didn't have all this knowledge. He said, I, he said, I, I don't even know who the Son of God is. I, I don't know anything about him. So Jesus told him. Verse uh, 37, Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It's he who's talking with you. So God spoke to him. And he saw who Jesus was. And he made a decision. Watch this, verse 38. Then he said, Lord, I believe. Right there is when he began to follow Jesus. Let's read the rest of that verse. Lord, I believe. And he what? And he worshiped him. What's the first thing he did after he began to follow Jesus? He worshiped him. You go all through the Bible, you'll see this. For instance, Matthew 28, 17. When they saw Jesus, they began to worship him. All through the Bible, people's response to Jesus is to worship him. It's, it's our highest call. But we talk about having worship, stuff like that. Let's go back to square one and make sure we got this right. If I were to ask you, do y'all have worship at your church? You say, well, yeah. I said, well, what is it? So I said, you know, we, the guys get up there with the music. I said, I didn't ask you what you do during the worship time. I want you to tell me what worship is. I want you to define it for me in your words. You tell me what worship is. What would you say? Well, that's when we sing the music. Is that, is that worship when we sing music? All right, let's look and see what, the, what worship is in the Bible. Look at me in Luke chapter 17. Many places, this is the great picture of worship. And it, there is, it's so simple. You see, now you, you may be one of those uh, new agers who says, well, Brother Brian, what's worship? Do you mind it be worship to me? It might be different to both of us. You're wrong. Was, it, me, neither me nor you get to choose. The creator of heaven and earth decides what it is. You say, well, you know, Jesus is your way to heaven. Buddha is my way to heaven. You're wrong. We don't, we don't own heaven, so we don't get to choose the way there. 
We want to be gracious with people and kind to people, but this generation that, that nothing, that you make your own God and your own rules, no, the God of heaven has written a book. And graciously, we need to say, it's what he says. And if we want to know what worship is, we need to ask him what he says it is. All right, here's one of the greatest pictures of worship in the Bible. Luke 17, verse 11, it happened. Jesus went to Jerusalem. He passed through the midst of Samaria, Galilee, entered a certain village. There were men, uh, made him 10 men who were lepers. They stood far off. You were required to. They were dying of leprosy. Leprosy is external cancer. It eats you from the outside in and it's contagious. That's why you can't go near people. They lifted their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. They cried out to him. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest, which is what you had to do if you were healed and the priest could say you could go home. Go show yourself to the priest. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. It means they were healed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. Is that worship? That's exactly what worship is. That's worship. Uh, let me give you the, de- the pure definition of worship from Scripture. All through Scripture, here it is. Worship um, is simply, I don't know why I've made it so complicated. Worship is to express, and it, listen to me, it's got to be expressed. You say, what's in my heart? That's no, that it's not worship. It's got to be expressed. All through the Bible, worship is to express gratitude to God for who He is and what He's done for you. Worship is when you believe God's done something for you and he's been kind to you, or he's helped you, and you go back to him and you, you express your gratitude to him. And I want to say again, it's got to be expressed. It, you can't just say, well, I, he knows I'm grateful. That's not worship. That's gratitude. Worship has to come out. You got to, every place in the Bible, all the hundreds of places, every time somebody worshiped, it was out. It was expressed. You had, you had to get it out. And uh, let, let's get, this is so simple. Worship is simply the heart expressing gratitude to God for who he is or what he's done for it. It's all it is. But it's nothing less than that, but it's nothing more than that. Do you understand that we're, we may be, we're so touched and grateful for what God has done and we got to do something about what he's done. Um, for instance, uh, when I consider that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take that in. We're on the cross. He, he gladly died and bore and took away my sins. So what? What do I do? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. When I realize that God has done this for me, my response to him is to, you are great. That's worship. It's when you express gratitude to him for what he's done. That all through the Bible, that's all it is. And there's, probably, there's more about worship in the Bible than any other subject. And it's simply to express gratitude back to God for this and, and what he's done. In the American church, we have sort of messed up when you say worship we think hip music music's not worship the heart expressing its gratitude to God is worship you can use music to worship but that's not that's not what it is and uh, in Luke 17 you see what it is but let's finish Luke 17 here and Jesus answered and said well were there not 10 cleansed where, where are the nine was not anybody found returned to give glory to God except this foreigner how many of you can hear God saying right here uh, where are the worshipers? Where are the people who are grateful for what I've done? Now, uh, he didn't, you say, well, those people that, that he did something for, but they didn't go back and worship him. You've got to understand, Brother Brown, they were grateful. Sure they were. 
Sure they were. But being grateful is not worship. And listen, to he didn't get mad. He didn't say, fine, I'm going to put the leprosy back on you. He didn't do that. He, didn't, he wasn't even bothered. Can you see that? Can you, this is one of the great mysteries of the universe. He's the creator of the universe. I mean, heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. Here I am down here in Podunk, North Carolina. Why does it matter to him whether I should thank him and praise him for what he's done? Can you not see in this passage that it means something to him? That he, that he, obviously, did, he did he see it? Did he make a big deal out of it? Yeah, he saw this. And this guy just came back and said, I, I want to thank you and praise you. Look what you've done for me. Thank you. Obviously, it meant something to him. Can you see that the fact that people did not worship him after he'd done something to him had an effect on him too? This is a great revelation in the heart of God here. Now, we, we often say worship's got to have music. No, it don't. All through the Bible, it gives a number of ways we can worship God. Uh, let me just mention the big three. Number one, you can worship God without music. You worship God by speaking. You can speak your worship. Let me give you some examples. One of my favorites in Luke chapter two, there were some shepherds watching their fields and an angel appeared to him and scared them spitless. And he said, don't, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news of great joy. Your savior's born tonight. And then, then what happened? And then after he said that, a multitude of angels, a bunch of angels just filled the sky. And the Bible said a multitude of the heavenly host appeared and they were saying they didn't sing it. They spoke it. They were saying, glory to God in the highest. Who wants peace and he's going to give peace to men and he's going to be good to men on the earth. They were worshiping God, but they weren't singing. They were just speaking it. Jesus often worshiped without singing. Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. We looked at it last week. I praise you and thank you, Father, that you have hidden your kingdom from the wise and prudent, but you've revealed yourself to humble people. He was worshiping God for something he'd done. But he wasn't singing. He was just speaking it. So we can, we can speak praise and, and we ought to do that too. Um, one of the ways it has created so much trouble in the American church is you worship God physically. I want you to look at me. With, don't look at me. Look with me at this. Psalm 63. Let's look at how the Bible talks about worshiping God physically. In Psalm 63. All right, Psalm 6, we'll look at a couple about how you worship God physically. Psalm 63, verse 3 says this, and this is one of those great passages, a great passage of worship, great psalm. Psalm 63, 3 says this, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. So you can worship God by lifting your hands up to Him. Uh, and he's telling me, I will praise you with my lips. But how else does he worship God? With his lips, but with his hands. And you, you know, with this thing about hands raised, uh, some people say that's charismatic. No, that's, that's Psalm 63. I, I didn't write the Bible. And what is this raising hands thing? Does anybody know? What is the universal symbol, no matter where you go in the world, what's the universal symbol of I surrender? It, Bulgaria, <laughs> anywhere. A, a soldier points a gun at you, I surrender. My hands in the air, I surrender to God. It's a symbol of surrender, you worship. Now, let me show you another one real quick. Turn with me to Psalm 95. To the right, Psalm 95. And Psalm 90, 95 is another picture of how we worship God physically. Psalm 95, 6 says this. Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship. How many believe we should worship? 
Oh, come, let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So does the Bible teach there. Come worship God with me. We can bow down to him or we can kneel. And this is physical worship. This is to express gratitude to him. Uh, I will just, I'll just tell you about another in the Bible. King David was the great worshiper of the Bible and said that often after God would do something for him, he would go into the house of God by himself and he would prostrate himself and lay down on his face before God and worship him and thank him, which is, a, it's a, it's to worship God in deep humility. <laughs> I remember when, uh, I, I hate to borrow money. I don't like to borrow money. Vance Habner taught me that debt, dirt, and the devil all came from the same place. Stay away from all of them. And I hate debt. And we had to borrow money to build that first auditorium over there. And I remember I walked in the office over years ago one day and the secretary said, this came in the mail for you today. And I looked at it and it was the deed paid off. And I thought, that's nice. I, I remember I took it and went over there in the auditorium and just laid down on the floor before God and said, to God be the glory. Thank you for doing this. And, and let this be a place where people are helped. You know, but you worship God physically, hands up, kneeling before him, whatnot. But of course, obviously through scripture, you worship him with music or through singing. And while we're in Psalm 95, read verse one. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and shout joyfully to him with psalms. Psalms means songs. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come let us worship. So you can praise God by singing and, and enter his gates with thanksgiving and with worship. Now, one of the great mistakes we've made today is that we think that music is worship. Because music is not worship. Music is a tool. It's just a tool to get the message to the man. Do you understand that? We've made a great mistake in the end of the week. said, well, I like that worship music. That's not the goal. Or I like these kind of songs. That, that, that's not good. The song is, the music, the song, the avenue, whatever it is, is just a tool to get a message to the man. The goal is not to sing a song or like a song or enjoy the music. The goal is for him to hear your voice or hear your heart. The goal is to get the message to him. My wife teaches at our school. The kids leave about 2.30. She stays there after that and does her stuff. And, you know, I pick up my phone and I call her at 3.30 or 4. And she answers the phone and I said, did you have fun today? So I had fun today. I said, sweetheart, I love you. You're the best in all the world. I'm so thankful God gave you to me. And she says, well, I love you too. Thank you. And we hang up. And she says, oh, how I love this phone. Oh, this phone is so dear to me. <laughs> no, no, the, the. The phone is just a, a tool to get the message to the woman. She don't love the phone. Hopefully she loves the man. Are you with me? It disturbs me when people come to my church. Oh, I love the music at your church. That wasn't our goal. Our goal is for you to love our Savior. About as bad as it disturbs me, people say, I love the preaching at that church. I have failed. I don't want you to love the preaching. I want you to love the man. Our goal is to get people to love the man. So I, I, I love this new worship music. It's really hip. We, we missed it. I love them old time songs. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you love the songs or do you love the man the songs are singing about? Do you understand the, how subtle this can be? It's all about him. The whole goal is to express gratitude to him. Uh, is there a danger of music that is not worship? 
want you to turn to Mark chapter 7. All of us, this is church, private, radio, riding in your car. Mark chapter 7. Would you say it's wrong to wear a wedding band and not love your husband? Not be true to your husband? Sure it is. Would you say it's wrong to sing Christian music and not have a heart that throbs for Jesus? Let's read it. Mark chapter 7. Now Jesus is talking to very Christian, not Christian, I'm sorry, very religious people. These are the people of God. And they're in a discussion with him. And let me tell you something about these people before we read this about worship. These people uh, went to church every time the doors were open. They had the best worship music ever written. So how do you know that? Because in their tabernacle, their church, they sang the Psalms of David. That's all they ever sang. And we know the Psalms of David are great worship because they're in the Bible. God put them in the Bible. They sang some of the greatest music ever written. And if you're familiar with Orthodox Jewish music, it was very good. You had to be a very skilled musician. From the time of David on, you had to be a very skilled musician. So they had tremendous music. You, we were just reading some of it out of the Psalms. They sang the Psalms and they had these services every Sabbath and every feast day and they sang these songs and they had this great music. Let me ask you a question. Was it worship? Read with me what Jesus said as he's talking to them in Mark chapter 7, verse 6. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, it is written, This people honors me with their lips. Stop right there. What does that mean? They sing about me. They sing my songs. They sing the great worship songs. He said, I know you honor me with your lips, but what's the next verse, next part say? But they're what? heart is far from me. We learn a lot about worship right here, don't we? He said, I know you sing the songs. I know the songs are correct. I know the songs are very good. They're pointed toward God, but I'm not listening to the song. I'm not listening to the music. What's God listening to? I'm listening to your heart. You, you worship me with your lips. Your heart's with me. I mean, you're, you're sing with your lips, but your heart is far from me. What's the next words? And in vain, they worship me. You know what he said? This is not worship at all. He said to come into the house of God, which is what they did, sing the greatest songs ever written with the most skilled musicians. He said, but your heart isn't pointed toward me and you don't throb for me. He said, this is not worship. So this teaches me you can have music, even good Christian music, but it's not worship. What is the definition of worship? It's when I turn my heart toward God and I want to tell him I am grateful for who you are and what you've done. He said, People love, say, we love the old song, Amazing Grace. Who cares? Or, or do you love Amazing Grace? Or are you amazed by the grace? There's it, such a subtle difference. We don't ever want to be, we don't ever want it to get old. We never back up. Let me tell you what we learned from this. It's not your voice. People say, oh, I don't have a very good voice. Don't worry about it. He's not listening to it anyway. From Mark chapter 7, verse 6, I see where he's not listening to your voice anyway. People say, if I had a great voice like theirs, I'd, I'd worship him. He's not listening to your voice. So if other people are, you're not singing to them. All through the Bible, listen to, oh, let us sing unto the Lord. A new song, singing and making melody unto the Lord. Well, I don't care what they think about my voice. I'm not singing to them. I'm not singing about them. And he didn't listen to your voice. It, I'm telling you, it's not about your voice. It's, it's not about your ability either. So boy, they, they, really, they really know how to play those instruments. That's not it. That's not it with him. I don't see where he listens to skill. What does he listen to? He's always, he's always on the heart. Uh, 
people say, well, now, you know, we're in, a, we're in the, what's called the worship wars. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, where you got this crowd saying you shouldn't sing nothing except the old songs, and then you got this new crowd singing the new songs, and they're still going at it. All of them are lost. All of them are clueless. It's not your song. You say, well, should we sing the older, should we sing the new? You should meet Jesus. All right, here's the answer. The kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings things both old and new out of his treasury. I'll just make all of them mad. Now, he's not listening to you. He don't care whether you, whether you sing Kumbaya or, you know, Handel's Messiah. He's not listening to the song. What's he listening to? What's your heart saying to me? Worship is all about the heart expressing something to the creator because of his goodness. I want you to turn with me to one of the greatest truths you'll ever learn. And let's learn this. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And you need to mark this verse and hold on to it. This will help you a whole lot. It'll change so many things. Well, and this is whether it's worship, giving, when you make mistakes, anything. 1 Samuel 16 is the foundational truth of our life with our Father. Now, 1 Samuel 16, <clears throat> the, the father sent this great prophet to go find a king. And he said, <clears throat> boy, I found him. I have found him. He is so gifted. The Bible said he was head and shoulders taller than other men. He was so talented. He was a warrior. He said, I guarantee you that's the guy you need right there. Watch well, what God said to him in verse 7. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. If God told him, don't look at his appearance, guess what our father doesn't do? He didn't look at the outside or his physical stature. I refused him. The Lord, what's his words? The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. This is the foundational truth of life. We look at what people say. He looks at why they say it. We look at what people do. He looks on the heart as to why do they do it. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about giving money and why we give. And he said, if, if you give to impress people, you got everything you're going to get. Because he sees that the heart was not right in the matter. Uh, I see people make mistakes sometimes. And people jump them and they, they damn them and they you don't want to condemn them because they made mistakes. But see, I, I, look, I look beyond the mistake. And I want to say, what was in the heart there? You don't know where that person's been. You don't know what they've done. Don't look at what they did. Look on the heart. And uh, we got to get this down when it comes to worship or anything else. But in worship, where's the only place God's looking at? Is he listening to me saying? He's looking at the heart. Does this heart appreciate what I've done? Is this heart wanting to, to get to me and tell me thank you? I'll be honest with you. I've been in... Uh, <clears throat> I've been in all kinds of services through my years, worship music services. I've heard the great singers and, and the great, I've been in the university for the great Christian concerts. Uh, they call them sacred concerts there. I like that. I, I like the organ music and all that. I've been in the, the high powered uh, contemporary boogie woogies when I've traveled. But I've been in some little out of the way churches where they had, they didn't even have instruments. Somebody put a, I call it a boom box. And they hit the button on that boom box and it played and they stood up and they, they would sing. They'd just sing, not lead anybody, just sing themselves. And their voice was not good. Matter of fact, people might make fun of them. And they, they were out of pitch. They didn't know how to match um, keys. 
And it, you know, it just wasn't that good. But boy, I tell you, what, I sat there and wept because I heard their heart. And, and, it, and then again, I've been in places where people were so gifted, great voices, great money on the equipment. And I just, I just, in my spirit, I discern this is about you, isn't it? You know, God looks on the heart and worship is of the heart. Whether you say it, you know, raise your hands every morning and say, I give praise unto God who raised me this morning. Or whether you sing a song to, whether you're singing in your car, whether you're singing with people in church, whatever it is, he's always looking at the heart. This thing of worship always goes back. The heart of worship is always the heart. It always goes back to that. And uh, that's, why, that's why we need to always be real careful because what's our, our culture, even the church culture telling us? You're not a very good voice. You can't sing in our thing. Well, that, that's fine. But we need to be real careful that we don't let this culture address us. We need to let God speak to us and say, well, what I'm looking, let me, I'm going to show you a little bit what he's looking for, what he really wants. What is the goal of worship? So I, I thought we just had music because the preacher couldn't go for an hour. I thought it was just feeling, I thought it was to sort of warm up. The Bible says the goal of worship is twofold. Number one, to bless God. It's not for, when, like if I were on the stage and I'm, if I'm on the stage up here and I'm singing, it's not for you. We should put a giant microphone right up there so everybody will remember, I'm not singing to you and you're not singing to me. Oh, sing unto the Lord. Our worship is to bless God. Our music is to bless God. When I, when I pray, that's why I don't like praying in public in front of people. It's hard to just get, not be conscious of people listening. Even after all these years. The goal of prayer is not to impress people that you can pray. The goal of prayer is to tell him something. And talk to him. I don't talk to my wife. and I like to talk to her in private too. But whatever it is, is to bless God. But secondly, is to cause people to love God. The goal of worship is to cause people to love God. And if we don't cause people to love God more with what we do and, and have a greater affection for Jesus, we've missed the purpose. You know, if, if they're impressed with disco lights, or, and I'm not picking on disco lights, I sort of like these. You know, that's fine, but it can't be our goal. Our goal is to cause people to love Jesus. But that's our goal in everything, is for people to love Jesus. All right, now listen to what the Bible teaches. When we choose to worship Him from the heart, whether you're by yourself at home, in your car, or with a group of people, he always responds to heart worship. He, he doesn't respond to great music. I've been in many a church where God didn't respond at all to the music, which told me, I can't see your heart, but he can, and he sees something that he's not coming to. But he always responds to heart worship. He does something. I want you to turn me to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, where the Bible tells us what he does. Psalm 22 is the, a great passage that teaches us about what, call, what my worship does. In Psalm 22, um, very simple, but the Bible said in Psalm 22, 3, you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Your version, your version of your Bible might not say this, thou art holy who inhabits the praises of Israel or of his people, and we are Israel. When we begin to worship God from the heart, what does he do? He comes and sets up his throne right there in your worship. Or what does the word inhabits mean? He comes. 
the, the Spirit of God is drawn by worship. Our, our goal in worship is to bless Him, but it is worship that we draw Him close to us with. And He inhabits the praises of His people. Some of you probably heard the songs written, God inhabits the praises of His people. He actually comes and sets His throne of rulership and authority right there where I worship Him. I can love God. I can be a good person who goes to church, but never experience God. But when I worship God, I will experience God. Then he'll come set his throne up right there. Whether it's in my living room when I'm there by myself, whether it's out in my office, whether it's when I'm walking through the woods, whether it's with a group of people. Our goal is to worship him from the heart as a group so that he comes and sets his throne right here in this room. That he comes right here. And let me make an announcement. If he comes, you'll know it. Preachers mystify me. I love them, but they mystify me. I've heard preachers say, well, we know God was here today because he said we're two or three gathered together. You'd be here. That's not how you know he was here. You don't know him because you got a Bible verse. You know him because that's him. He's here. You experience God. I'm talking about his tangible presence. Um, Used to be a song years ago went like this. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know it's the spirit of the Lord. There's sweet expressions on each face. And I know that it's the Spirit of the Lord. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove. Stay right here with us, filling us from above. Somebody worshiped God and he inhabited his throne right there. What do you think about that line in that song? You think that's cheesy where it said there are sweet expressions on each face? When the sweet spirit comes, there will be sweet expressions on each face. So I don't think you can judge by people's faces. It wouldn't have said it in the song if you couldn't. Well, if you don't like the song, how about the Bible? Would you go with the Bible? They looked at him and their faces were radiant. It shows. I can get around people when they're worshiping God and I can look at them and tell, you're, you're singing, you're worshiping. And the presence of God touches the human face. And you can tell the difference like that. It's just, and that's just the great need of our lives. We, uh, with the society we live in right now and the pressure and the garbage that's out there, we're going to have to learn how to worship again, privately and corporately because we need the touch of God. Uh, the old man that mentored me, he's been dead for years. and he's, I mean, he was, much, he was preaching in the 30s and 40s, just a little country church. And he told me, he said, back then we, we just so knew how to get in the presence of God. And he said it was so unusual. He said it wouldn't be unusual for us in our church. He said, all we have is just no piano. Wouldn't be unusual for us to worship God and the presence of God had come and the presence of God would be so strong that I'd just sit down on my chair. Back then, preachers had chairs on platforms. I'd just sit down in my chair and the people just sit there. We'd just sit there. Just in the presence of God. Nobody speak, nobody move. We'd just sit there and enjoy the presence of God. Does the Bible teach that? Acts chapter three says this, repent and be turned back to God that times of refreshing might come to you from the presence of God. He said, the presence of God came. He said, we, we didn't have a nursery. We didn't have nothing. He said, oh, baby, baby wouldn't make sense. He said, we'll sit there for 30, 45 minutes. And just nobody speak, nobody nothing. Just enjoy God. He said, well, I ain't sitting in no church for 30 minutes with nothing going on. Well, you've never been in his presence. Amen. You've never experienced touch of God. And, and, you're, when you, when, and he said, all of a sudden, I just, the presence of God would just lift. And I just said, well, folks, I think he's done for the day. Let's go home. But he said, we'd be so refreshed and cleansed and strengthened and your heart would be so tenderized by the presence of God. Thou art holy who inhabits the praises of your people, enthroned yourself there. And I want you to learn how to do this in private. 
Let's look at one more. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5. And the goal of worship is to touch the heart of God. And in return, He promises to touch yours with His Spirit. That's worship. That's, that's, what it was, that's why He created it. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's just a wonderful promise. You ever had a child that was suffering, you picked them up and hugged them when they were little? Did you ever do that? I, did, I used to do that. You know, I can remember my kids would get upset about something. They'd be crying. They'd get hurt. Something happen. I'd just pick them up, set them on my lap. You didn't have to explain it to them psychologically. At five years old, they couldn't understand it anyway. But what were they? But when you just took them and said, it's going to be all right. And you held them and you patted them. Well, guess what that word is? What were you doing? You were comforting them. Comforting them. And they were at peace. Guess what the name of the Holy Spirit is? I will send you another comforter. And, and it's not a head understanding. It's when he touches you. And he comforts us. And he draws close to us. Well, let me ask you a question. You saw your child hurt. And what would you say? Heck with you. I don't care whether you hurt or not. What would you do? Uh, my little girl, she got invited to a skate party, roller skating party one time. I think she was five, maybe six. So I'm going to take her to a skate party. She goes to a skate party. And uh, we're, we're not skating people. We live out in the country. We skate on horses. You know, she, she, was, horse, she was riding horses since she was in diapers. And uh, we didn't go. Why would in the world would you roll something on your feet when your horse can carry you there? So she didn't know how to skate. We go to the skating party. And... Uh, Right, you know, the kid's out there skating, and she's out there skating, and she looked like a five-year-old alcoholic, you know, on skates, just <laughs> like she'd been drunk, and she just couldn't get it. And I looked out there, and I, I could tell it's starting to bother because all them other kids, you know, could skate, she couldn't skate. She's going by, and she, I hope it don't get hurt. And she went by, and finally I said, come here. I'm sitting out there on a little bit. I said, come here. So she's come here, sat down, and I said, uh, you don't know how to do it so good, do you? She said, no. I said, does it bother you? She didn't say a word. I saw the tears start down her face like that. Well, you're five years old. We got our stuff too. So I just took her and just pulled her real close. I said, sweetheart, if things would be right. And just, just, I didn't say, well, now technically, let me explain to you why you're bothered. <laughs> then when sometimes your head don't need a thing, your heart needs something. And I just pulled her close, sat there, rubbed her and talked to her, told her producer, and, and she went. <laughs> That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's to comfort people. Let me ask you a question. You think he wants to do that? Just like you want to comfort your children. As a father has a tender heart toward his children, so the Lord does toward those who fear him. I look at me in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine. It's dissipation. Be filled with the Spirit. What can that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I've got the Spirit of God inside of me. If you're born again, everybody's got the Spirit of God in them. If any man does not have the Spirit of God, he's none of his. The Spirit's in me. What does this being filled with the Spirit mean? He wants you to experience the Holy Spirit. He wants the Holy Spirit to touch you. You know, there's a reason he compares it to wine. If you're filled with wine, it has an effect on you. There's, there's, a, you, there's a peace that comes over you when you drink. There's, there's a quietness that comes. There's a freedom that comes. Well, God wants the Spirit. He doesn't just want you to have the Spirit of God. He wants you to be touched by the Holy Spirit. He wants you to experience Him. You say, amen, amen. Tell Him to do it for me, Brother Brian. Wait a minute. Let's read be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Father's will. Speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody. Where? In your heart. To the Lord. 
giving thanks always for all things to God. What is it that I do to have the Holy Spirit draw close to me and help me? I begin to worship God. I begin to thank Him for who He is. And from my heart, I might sing to Him. I might tell Him I appreciate Him. The Holy Spirit's in you all the time. Quit waiting on Him. You stir Him up. The Bible said, stir up the gift of God that's within you. You're the one who causes the Holy Spirit to come to you and help you. That's 2 Timothy 1.6. 1 Timothy 4.17 says this. Don't neglect the gift of God that's in you. The Holy Spirit's in you. He'll come to you. He'll comfort you. He'll encourage you. He'll, he'll strengthen you. But you've got to do something first. What is it? Thou art holy who, inhabited, who comes to the praises of His people. All right, I wake up in the morning. Some people wake up feeling great. I don't. At this age, I don't feel great in the mornings. I've got a few old injuries that are sort of creaky. And uh, because I'm from the country, we're committed to get up early whether we like it or not. Besides, my daddy-in-law lives across the pasture, and if the lights are on at 5 o'clock, he wants to know what's wrong. And so we, we get up early at our house. So I wake up in the morning first thing, and, and I, I, don't, I don't get this angelic, arise, my love. I don't, I don't know. Some people I do. Bless you, I guess. But listen, listen to me. to what I've learned. I do not ask how I'm feeling in the morning. I tell myself how we're going to feel in the morning. I never get out of the bed. I will not get out of the bed till I say, thank you, God. I'm alive today because you are good. And this is the day the Lord has made. And I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And this is, I always say that this is going to be the greatest day of my life. And I am going to be gladder today than I've ever been. And the entire time I'm saying that, I feel like a man that just got run over by a Mack truck. You don't have to feel anything. And I get up and uh, I'm old. I got my routine. Don't mess with me. We're going to eat breakfast before we breathe. We're going, it's going to get it going. Everything's in order. You know how old people are. Got our routine. And I'm just buzzing around and I'm singing, hugging mom and whatnot. You can, you can do this that feeling. And I always sit down and, I, and I, I worship first thing before breakfast. Get my stuff in front of me and I say, Father, I want to thank you and praise you that I had a house to sleep in last night. I thank you I had a warm bed. Thank you that I'm healthy today. Thank you I could get up. Thank you that I got a woman that loves me. Thank you for love and joy and peace. And I go right down the list of eight things. Freedom and kindness and mercy. Thank you for breakfast. Thank you for... And, and about halfway through there, I'll just feel something... I don't know whether it comes up or comes over. It don't matter to me how it comes. But that sweet spirit just that comes. And it's just like the atmosphere changes. This is what it means. God inhabits. He comes to the praises of his people. Now, it can't be, oh, this song will do it. That's not how it works. The heart. Be filled with the spirit singing in your heart to the Lord, giving him thanks. When you worship God from the heart, he responds every time. He comes to heart worship. He draws close to it because he, he loves it. He really does. And <clears throat> listen to me. You don't have to go to church to do this. You can do this by yourself. All through the Bible, you see people worship by themselves. One of the greatest things you'll ever learn is how to worship God privately and meet Him in private worship. And you can do this riding down the road. Some of the reasons I used to love to drive a truck. I'd, uh, Sunday evenings, I'd get in my truck. I'd go to Chicago. I'd get in my truck. I'd drive all the way to Indianapolis without stopping. Ten hours. Never turn the radio on. I tell you, what, I love to drive a truck because I'd get in there and I wouldn't get, I'd get, get my mess order, sort of get up the road a little bit. And all of a sudden I'd begin to sing and worship and praise God in that truck. And how many times has he come right down there? And we've rode all the way 10 hours without ever turning the radio on and just enjoy his presence and just tell him how wonderful he is and worship him. Don't ask for anything. 
Don't, don't need any questions answered. I've given up on that a long time ago. I'm like King David. I do not concern myself with matters too great for me. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mama. But I know this, I am blessed to be alive. And he is great and his eyes on me and he cares for me. And you just worship God. And uh, Charles Stanley, I remember him writing about this. He said, I, I wanted to learn to live in the presence of God. And he said, I, you know, I was, he said, my tribe, which is Baptist, didn't practice this. That was them crazy charismatics. But my tribe, I wanted to get close to God. And he said, so I began to learn how to pray and worship God. And he'd draw close to me. And he said, I'm just a boy. I mean, a young man. He said, I had to, you know, my, his daddy left him when he was three years old, two, three years old. Had a hard life. His father right there, his grandfather in Siler City helped him. He was raised up here in Danville, Virginia, but he worked in a mill, worked in a knit factory. And he said, I worked around the dye uh, buckets or whatever they were. And he said, the noise was so loud, but he said, I learned how to worship God in that dye plant there. And he said, I could just spend all day in the presence of God, just learning how to do that. Well, listen, a lot of things are learned and we got to learn. Listen what the Bible said, draw not close to God, he'll draw close to you. Well, it's worship, heart worship that we draw close to God with so that he'll draw close to us. Now, if I were to ask you, you said, well, Brother Brown, I just met Jesus last night. I don't know what to do. Do I go to church? Do I buy a Bible? What, I, what does God want from me now? What would you tell him? Turn with me to John chapter four. I'm, I'm sorry, one more. John chapter four. What is it that God wants from people? It was a great mistake is in thinking that, that if I'm saved, the first thing I need to do is serve God. Show me that. I didn't marry my wife to wash my underwear. I'm grateful she does. I'm grateful she cooks. That's not why I married her. I married her because I was looking for a friend. All right, Jesus is in a discussion with a woman and they went to different types of churches and he says, does my church do it right? Does your church do it right? He said, none of that stuff matters. She said, you know, my people worship like this. Your, my, my, my church does church like this. You people do church like this. He said, none of that matters, lady. Watch what he said in verse 23, John 4, 23. The hour's coming now is when the true worshipers, well, if the Bible says true worshipers, there must be some not true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking people to worship Him. What's God looking for? And he goes on to talk about that we worship in the spirit. What's God looking for? He don't need you to work for him. I mean, I do, and I love doing it. I'm glad to be a part of it. But dear ones, he's got an angel could do more than I could. He don't need my money. He's loaded. What is he looking for? What does he want? What does he want more than anything? He wants my heart. He wants your heart. And how do you give it to him? Worship is the way you give your heart to God. And we're going, well, God is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. I think we made a great mistake in our churches years ago when we put more emphasis on learning and knowledge and growing and learning instead of worshiping God. Whether it's in the worship, the music, whatever. And the Bible said this, knowledge makes arrogant. Love edifies. And now we got the arrogance in our land that comes from knowledge instead of the building up that comes from loving God and worshiping Him. But we, we want to go back to the heart of worship. All right, let me quit by saying this. You know, back in Luke 17, all these people cried out to God. God loved all of them. God did great things for all of them. But only 10% of them came back and became worshipers, didn't they? Only one of the 10 came back and became a worshiper of God. And again, he wasn't mad at them. He didn't say, put that leprosy back on them. <laughs> he didn't say, next time they ask for something. He didn't do that. He's just so good. 
but only 10% of all the people that he loved and did something for came back and became his worshiper. I've decided I'm going to join the 10% club. Somebody said to me a while back, they'd been to church and they said, I can tell you one of them preachers is really into worship, aren't you? I said, no, no, I'm not. I'm a worshiper who preaches on the side. My life's not centered around preaching. I'm planning on not doing it anymore if y'all get on the road and find somebody. (laughs) But I will worship the God of heaven for all of eternity. The heart wants to worship God. And besides the preaching's not for him, he's the one who wrote it. But the worship is for him. Let me ask you a question. Should you worship God? James 1.17, every good gift came from the Father of lights. Are you healthy? Did you have something to eat today? Did the sun shine down on you today? You got anybody to love you? You got a home to live in? God's been good to you. Have you been forgiven of your sins? God's been good to you. He is worthy of our worship then. You don't need to make up for your sins. Somebody else has already done that. You don't need to promise to do better. He knows you're lying. I'm sorry. That's what it says. You, apart from me, you can't do anything anyway. He's worthy and I'm needy. That's why we worship. He loves the worship of his people. Don't you ever think that? Could you imagine? Uh, I, I get ill with these preachers who tell people, knock, knock the music off. I need to preach. You better be careful. I've seen that happen. Uh, I think I'm, my daughter's five, maybe six years old. We're living in this trailer and we're building the house we're living in. Best, I'd, I'd move back in that trailer tomorrow. I loved it. Rented this 30-year-old trailer from the fella. It was, a, it was great. You, you could clean the whole thing up and never take a step. <laughs> clean it from one spot. It's right there. I loved it. So we live in this trailer while we was building this house. I'm building this house. And I, me and my father and I were building it. And I'd come home in the evening. You know, you got sawdust all over you. And you didn't need it at the table. There was no table. Wasn't enough room. Makes me wish I was still there. And uh, I came in one evening, and her name was Emily Jean. And I came in, and uh, as soon as I walked in the door, she said, I wrote a song for you. And I said, Good. I said, She said, No, 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 sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. She went, I'm going to sing it right now. And uh, so I sat down on the couch, and she got up there in front of me, and she'd written this song. And she got up there, and she went, <clears throat> And she belted it out, sang this song. And uh, I don't remember the name of it. Probably didn't have one. And she sang this song. Now, now, between me and you, I don't think she's here tonight. Between me and you, the words didn't fit. So we're not talking top 40 here. You with me? The, the, the meter wasn't right in it. The, she changed the key constantly, not because it was supposed to. She just did it. Probably didn't know it. Uh, te- Simon Cowell would have gonged her. I loved it. I loved it. I'd rather hear that than any song written. You say, you got a warped sense of music. No, I got a father's heart. Don't you understand what he's saying there that he loves the praises of his people? It's not the music. It's not the, how loud it is. It's not the, how soft it is. It's not the, it's the heart. And the heart of God is touched by that. I thought it was great. And you know, sort of like when your child draws you something, crayons, you say, hey, that's, that's nice. <laughs> so that, that's a nice dinosaur. That's a nice dinosaur. I said, Daddy, that's my cat. Yes, that's what I meant. It's a, it's a nice cat. We don't throw it in the garbage because it's not a 
nice cat, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Put it on the refrigerator. Not because it's a Picasso. We put it up there for. That's from years. That was from the heart. They want to bless you. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Worship is just a childlike heart wanting to tell God, I appreciate you. Appreciate what you've done. I want us to get in the 10% club. I want us to make up our minds. We're not just going to be a people that God's been good to. We're not just going to appreciate what he did. We're going to do like that fellow who went back and with a loud voice thanked him and praised him for what he'd done. And I want Jesus to be blessed by it. I, I think God is so good. He'd still be good to me if I never worshiped him again. That ain't going to happen. I want him to, I want him to hear the heart. All right, let's, let's pray and worship him now. Praise be unto God who inhabits the praises of his people, who brings bread from the earth to make strong the heart of man who covers me in my rest and gives me safety that I might rise. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Praise the Lord from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. Let the Lord's name be praised in all the earth. Thank you so much for your kindness and mercy and grace. The greatest practice we'll ever engage in, the only practice we're engaged in now that we'll do for all of eternity is your worship, the praise of the living God. I thank you that before your throne right now, all the saints of all the ages, all the people that have gone ahead of us, all the angels, all the seraphim are bowing down saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And we want to join in that worship and that praise in the very throne of heaven. Thank you, Father, for the freedom. I praise you. It's not the type of music. It's not the song. It's not the with a piano or without a piano. It's the heart that praises you and thanks you. Thank you that your word teaches that you hear us. Thank you that... In the quiet of the night, when we lay our heads on the pillow and we simply quietly utter, thank you, you hear it. And that's the incense of heaven. Thank you for the goodness of God in our lives. We can't wait to see you face to face. I got a feeling our praise will upgrade when we finally get to see you face to face. Let Jesus be glorified. In his precious name we pray. Amen.